My subject this morning is the armor of God. Now, I'm sure through the years, and those of you that have been Christians for many, many years, have heard many sermons about the armor of God. But my question this morning is, what does it really mean? What is Paul really saying about this imagery of all this helmet and breastplate and, and belt of truth and everything? And what lessons can we learn from it? It's interesting, Paul. In Romans 14, Paul tells us to put on the armor of light. And then in Colossians 3, he says, put on the new man. In Galatians 3, he says, put on Christ. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. But our message this morning is found in Ephesians 6. It has to do with putting on the armor of God, which is putting on Christ. So whenever you hear, put on the armor of God, the answer is, put on Christ. Well, that was a short sermon. I mean, we're talking about the armor of God, just put on Christ. But the question that most Christians have is, what about my thought life? I feel there's got to be something wrong with it because some of you who have been Christians a lot of your lifetime, you're wondering why you still go through this process of these thoughts going through your head. You wonder why you're not growing like you thought that you would or should. You thought, your thinking is, why aren't I a stronger Christian today than when I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 or 20 years ago? So if you're not stronger, then you have to think, well, what's really wrong with me then? Am I not listening? Am I not following instructions or... And, and so we, we all know that according to the Bible, that there is a devil. And Christians believe that this devil, or Satan as he's called, who is our enemy, they're wondering that maybe I'm listening to the devil too much. The Bible says... Very little about the devil, really. It says more about Christ. The New Testament says more about Christ and who he is and what he stood for um, and who we are. But in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it does say that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And we are the brethren. And then to make it worse, the Bible says that he accuses us day and night. What's with that? He accuses us day and night. Does he affect our dream life? I mean, what's all this about? So <clears throat> let's go to Ephesians 6. In verse 11, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Notice it says to be strong in the Lord. It doesn't mean that you yourself will become strong. It doesn't mean that. It's asking you to be strong in somebody else. And that somebody else is our Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow, Christians are left with the impression that we have to train ourselves to be strong. We have to discipline ourselves. It's almost like thinking of uh, running a marathon or lifting weights. We think that what we need is a program, and we follow the program, and then we're going to see results. But it's true. We do see results. I remember when I ran my first marathon. I was in my 50s. And I got a program that would, three months, that would put me to the finish line. And I followed that program exactly right, and it got me to the finish line. Of course, I couldn't walk once I got to the finish line, but I got there. And so... Some of us seem to equate discipline, sports, programs, all this stuff of getting stronger. And so a lot of times we think that if we read the Bible every day, which we should, but it says we feel that if we would read the Bible every day, if we would pray every day, if we would have our quiet time every day, that we would become stronger and stronger and stronger Christians. That is not the way it works. That is not the way it works. When you realize that the early Christians, 70, probably more like 80 some percent couldn't read. They didn't have the Bible. They had some letters. Most of them had one or two at the most. And they would share that. They'd find somebody who could read and then they would go and meet with them just like we're meeting here. Now, it could be that some of you, you feel emotionally and spiritually drained. And maybe there are some who have tried to make the Christian life work, but it isn't really working. We want to convince ourselves that it's working, but It's not really, it seems like, anyway, at times. And so what Paul is trying to get across to us is to be strong in someone else, not to be strong in yourself, to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, even Christ, he depended upon the Father. He said... I do what the Father tells me to. Ephesians 6.11, the Bible says this, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's an interesting way to put it, that you can stand against the devil's schemes. What are the devil's schemes anyway? Paul is saying... That to the Christian, evil rarely looks evil. You know, it doesn't look evil until it accomplishes its goal. 
then we think, well, that was bad. So sin can be baited, camouflaged, and Paul says in Corinthians, Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. For the Bible says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the Bible says, for our strength is not against flesh and blood, so we can't look at our spouse or anybody else and say, this is my problem. We can't do it. Our problems are against powers of this dark world. Now, it says against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does that really mean? Well, it means our struggles are against subjective powers is real. It is real. Those who are in Christ, the Bible says, have been given every gift. They have all the power, all the faith that they need. They have been given every gift. So, we are without excuse. Christians no longer live in the heavenlies. We live here on this earth. But there's a difference now in the New Testament. We have Christ living in us. Christ is in us. Therefore, the Bible says, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. Now there are some people who have interpreted this as believing that the evil day that comes is the last end of time. You may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to, to stand. It doesn't mean the end of time. That's not what it's saying at all. But the forces of this text is on the life in the present. Because when you look up the original language, the meaning is anytime evil is encountered, we're to take our stand. We take our stand because we are in Christ. Paul uses the analogy of the helmet and the breastplate. He gets that from the Old Testament. He gets it out of Isaiah. And so he uses this analogy, and if he, if he didn't have that, he would simply say, put on truth, put on righteousness, put on readiness, put on faith, and take hold of your salvation, and take hold of your righteousness. Take hold of your righteousness. Remember when we talked about the new covenant in Hebrews 8. God said to us that he's going to make a new covenant. He's made that with us that's different from the old. Well, what's different about it? Well, our Father made the covenant with Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, our Father made the covenant with the Israelites. They couldn't keep it. Humanity can't keep it. So what did he do? God the Father, he made the commitment to Jesus Christ. The one is about, the old covenant is about our faithfulness. The new one is about God's faithfulness. When we are weak, when we are faithless, the Bible says God is faithful. 
The new covenant encompasses all that Jesus Christ has done and has accomplished for you and me. So the Bible says, stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Well, wrapping the belt of truth is about the truth about Jesus Christ. It's either the truth about Jesus Christ or it's a belt about deception, and we know it's not that. So Paul says, stand firm, fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes upon Christ. Stand on the gospel and his righteousness. Now, the gospel means good news. When you are a born-again believer and you believe that you are a child of God, that's good news. That's what the gospel means. That you have a new heart. God has given you a new heart. You have eternal life. You've received the gift of God's righteousness. Righteousness means that you're okay. You know, most Christians don't feel that they're okay. Most Christians feel that there's something wrong with them and they've got to do this or they've got to do that to get themselves in shape or get themselves acceptable to God. But righteousness is, you're okay. That's what it means. You're okay. And you're 100% okay. You're 100% forgiven. You are 100% accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you died and now you are alive in Christ. You received a measure of faith. I don't know how many times you've heard, well, maybe he just didn't have enough faith. Maybe I don't have enough faith to really believe this. And you hear these televangelists when they have the healing ceremonies, they talk about your faith. And so you wonder, do I have enough faith? Well, according to Jewish reckoning, the Bible says that you were given a measure of faith, which is a bushel basket full, and it only takes the seed of a mustard seed. That's all the faith that you really need. How many mustard seeds can you get into a bushel basket? Millions. And the Bible says that everyone received a measure of faith. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you received a full bushel basket full of faith. You have all the faith that you will ever need right now. Now, you were made, the Bible says, and people find this hard to believe, but it's in the Bible, that not only did you receive that measure of faith, that bushel basket full, that you were made perfect forever. That's what the Bible says to every believer. In Hebrews, the Bible says that you have been made perfect forever. Not that you're going to get perfect. You are perfect. Well, what's perfect? It's certainly not my flesh, but it's my heart. When Jesus Christ performed surgery on my heart, he opened it up, he took out that stony heart, and he put that heart, his heart, into my heart. And that heart, the Bible says, and 1 John says, it will not sin. 
And you do not sin from your heart. You sin from your flesh. Now, the Bible says here, and wish your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. When you accepted Jesus Christ, when you understood that your identity is in Christ, that you are a child of God, and it's not based on your performance, but it's based on your relationship with Christ, the Bible says that you're ready. Your readiness is complete now. You are ready. So, readiness is pertaining to all of life. It's all of life, and you're ready for all of life. You can do now what Paul said. Paul says, I've learned to be content in every aspect of my life. And you now can be content because you're ready. But you know, the devil comes along with his schemes. And here's what happens. Here's how the devil operates. The devil tries to convince you that you are an average Christian. You have problems, but, you, but you're doing okay. You're doing okay. Because if the devil told you that you were a loser, if, you, if the devil said, if the, if the score is from zero to 100, and, and the devil tried to convince you that you're a zero, that's not going to work. Because if you feel you're a zero, you're liable to go get help. So that's not going to work. So he tries to convince you that you're just an average Christian out there, but you're just having trouble. You're just having trouble believing in God. You're just have, having trouble believing that it all works for you. So last night when I got home from the wedding, I sat down and I made some popcorn and I turned on the TV and I thought I would watch it for about, well, I thought it was, I'd laugh watch it for about a half hour, but I ended up with 45 minutes. I watched this program. It was a healing. Uh, it was the televangelist. And they were talking about the, it was a woman, and she was talking about the covenant. And I thought, oh, this is good. This is really going to be good, I think. And she went and talked about the covenant, the new covenant in the New Testament, and how we're free in Christ, and all of these things. And then she was talked about a lot of different covenants. And I was thinking, where in the world is she getting all these covenants from? There's the old covenant and the new covenant. It doesn't get newer, newer, newer. But she was bringing up all these new covenants. And she was talking. And she led, she led us to believe that there is a covenant that God has made with his believers about their giving. And the more that they give, the more God is going to reward them. And then she said that she went to a, a seminar, her and her husband, they're both ministers, her and her husband went to a seminar. And the speaker, whom I know, he was, he was speaking about the prosperity gospel. And he got up and he, and he said that there was 7,000 people. No, there was, there, was a, there was 10 people in the audience that were going to give $7,000. And her husband he raised his hand to be one of them. And she was distraught. She said, what are you doing? And he says, well, 
We're going to plant this seed. And then she went on to tell all the money that came in. It was like $300,000. Now, if you heard that message, you'd think, wow, this is a good deal. The more that you give to God, the more, he's, the more, the more seed that you plant, as they put it, the more you're going to get. This is better than Wall Street. This is better than anything. And you would think that by listening to that, that, yeah, I need 100000 so if I could scrape up 10000 maybe I could get the 100000 by the end of the month. As if God is in some kind of banking business. We have some crazy mixed-up theology out there today that's destroying people's belief in God. That's not the way God works. That's not the way God works at all. Paul says, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have little. And it doesn't make any difference to me because I've learned to be content in all things. The devil comes along and he says that you're average, that you don't trust God, if you trust him, you'd do this, you'd do that. But you're the average kind of Christian, and, and, and you just don't believe hard enough. You don't have enough faith. You don't have a lot of this stuff. This is what the devil is trying in his schemes. And so he convinces you that maybe you are from 0 to 10. Maybe you're a 75, or maybe you're a 90. And you've got a little bit more work to do. But the Bible says that you are 100%. You're either, the Bible says, you're either a zero or you're 100%. There is no in-between in the Christian life. Either you are a zero and you don't know Christ, or you do know Christ and you are 100% in everything, in everything. And knowing that this is true will bring you the peace that passes no understanding. I mean, nobody can understand it because you are completely trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at the real issue here. You may agree with me that righteousness means that you're okay. You may give me credit and say, well, okay, we'll buy into that that we're okay. And it sounds good, and I'm thankful for it, but the temptations that come into my life have never stopped. I'm tempted, and when I'm tempted, accusations surface. This is the devil's schemes. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses the Christian of not having enough faith. When all the time the Bible says he has a bushel basket full of it. He'll never run out of it. He has every, all the faith that he needs for life. But the devil says, no, you need more. And so you begin to search. How do I get more faith? How do I generate? Oh, if I, if I spend more time with the Bible, if I spend more time praying, if I spend more time doing this, 
Then I'll get stronger and stronger. And Paul says, no, no, no. That's not the way it works. You become stronger in someone else, not yourself. You don't build yourself up. You become stronger in somebody else. And that somebody else is Jesus Christ. But when the accusation comes, that's when we start projecting. And we're projecting the outcome. And sometimes we think about, well, what would it look like if I do this or, or do that? And then the fiery darts come. And here's what happens. You keep on thinking about something. And because you keep on thinking about it, you begin to think to yourself, well, as long as I'm thinking about it this this long, this hard, I might just as well do it. And that's where the projection comes. So I can't get my mind off of it, so I must be guilty of it, so I might just as well do it. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus went through temptation like we go through temptation? I mean, it says, the Bible says he was tempted in all points. But do you believe that Jesus was tempted? Do you believe that he had these thoughts coming through his mind? Well, to be tempted, yes, you have to go through it. And Jesus went through it exactly like you and I do. He was tempted in all points as we are. Now, I'm hoping and praying that we'll become like Paul. When Paul went through it all, he says, I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm thinking it. I don't want to think it, but I'm thinking it. I don't understand it. And he says, oh, it's sin that dwells within me. But he's the first one to say, it's not me. It's not me. It's not from my heart. It's from my flesh. It's not me. It's sin that dwells within me. Now, I believe that we give far too much credit for, to the devil. Do you realize that the devil is simply a defeated enemy? He's defeated? Now, I know I've heard a lot of people say, well, he, he controls this world. He does not control this world. I don't know where we get that. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when he said, it is finished, the sin issue was settled right there. He does not control this world. It, it, it has been a doctrine that has led us down the alleys of deception for so many years. The New Testament focuses on the devil and demons for only two reasons. And it does talks very little bit about it. You realize in the Old Testament that there's only three times that the Old Testament talks about Satan. Only three. 
the New Testament, it talks very little about Satan or the devil. And in the Old Testament, it never mentions the devil once. It just mentions Satan. So here we are. We have churches all over the world that they seem to be, there's a big movement now on demon possession, on exorcism, on territorial spirits now, and the issue of binding demons. Now, I've been where there's been demon possession. I've seen it. I've laid hands on people who have been demon-possessed. So it's real. I understand that it's real. But we give far too much credit to the devil. We have him hiding behind every bush. And we, we, it's so easy for us to say, well, the devil, that's the devil, that's the devil, that's the devil, that's the evil one, that's the enemy. But theologically, that is all superficial and just does not hold up to reality of the Bible. There is an evil power. But that power, well, let me say it this way. That power is limited. And do you realize when the Bible says to the Christian that greater is he that is in you than is in the Bible, that it means just that? The devil cannot touch you. The devil cannot harm you. The devil not, can, cannot possess you. He cannot do any of those things. But here we have today the devil behind every bush. The Bible says, in addition, to all of this, take up the shield of faith, in which you can distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then in verse 17, it says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the helmet is the helmet of victory. If you read Isaiah, God strapped on, the Bible says God strapped on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation to bring, to bring to us righteousness and salvation. That's why to us in the New Testament, salvation is a gift, but righteousness is a gift as well. You are as righteous this morning as you'll ever be in this life. You are 100% righteous. Now, in Ephesians, we believe that all these gifts were given to us. And the ultimate assurance and protection was given to us as well. The Bible says that God promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says that he will not let anyone pluck you out of his hand. And it's true. It's all true. God will never, never let anything happen to you spiritually. And then the Bible says, the sword is the word of God. Well, 
The word of God here does, is not referring to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's not what it's referring to. But that's what many have been led to believe. It's referring to the gospel message. That's what it's referring to. The Greek used here refers to teaching. It's teaching the gospel. And the bottom line is, according to the New Testament, Satan is more an annoyance than some great overpowering force. And he is limited in his power. He is limited. The threat of danger exists simply because of the schemes of the devil to try to convince, the, remember, he's the accuser, so he's trying to accuse you of not having enough faith. He's trying to accuse you of not believing in the scripture. He's the accuser of the brethren. The armor of God is Christ living in the believer. That's what the armor of God is. It's Christ living in the believer. And Christ living in the believer is enough. We should experience excitement and courage that we have it all. God has given to us all that we need in our life and in our spiritual life. And I close with this. Greater is he that is within than he that is in the world. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the words that give us comfort to know that we are 100% okay. We praise you and we thank you for that. We're encouraged to know, Lord, that you have given us the assurance and protection that we will have for the rest of our life. You'll not let anything happen to us. You'll not let You'll not let the Satan, Satan try to get to us or anything else like that. And we believe that you living in us is all that we need and that's enough. We thank you for that. Now I pray that you will bless each one of us today as we go throughout this day, believing and praising you for all that you have done. Bless us, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.